Thanks for those great praises. Good morning. Welcome to Women in the Word. I'm Shelley Davis, and I'm part of the women's ministry here at Christ Chapel. I'm also part of the teaching team that's going to be bringing you psalms for the rest of the semester. It doesn't look like much like Women in the Word up here this morning, does it, as you can see? And Candy was so gracious to praise God for. We are prepared for the Music Man, which starts tonight. It's a pre-evangelistic event. It's an opportunity for you to bring um, your friends and family and co-workers and have them um, have a good experience inside of a, a church, and perhaps they will come back. I um, hope you already have your tickets because there aren't any tickets left as far as I know. We don't want to see any of you scalping your tickets out there on Montgomery, making a little extra money here with the Music Man tickets. This uh, Sunday morning I was at the uh, information desk and um, the cutest little gal came up to the information desk and she was elderly. In fact, I think she had gone beyond what Moses tells us is a lifespan here in Psalm 90. And she said, I want to bring my friends to the music man. I have my ticket, but I need tickets for them. And I thought, oh, and some gentleman had just turned in a ticket to me. He said that he wasn't going to use it. And I thought, oh, hey, I can probably help you out. And so I said, so how many tickets do you need for your friends? And she said, 40. <laughs> I thought, whoa, you are busy out there with this pre-event, so I, evangelistic event. I had to send her on to the ticket people because I didn't have 40 tickets. And so I'm wondering if she's coming tonight with her 40 friends. Uh, you know, we're going to jump right in here to Psalm 90, so you may want to open your Bibles to Psalm 90. I'm excited to talk about Psalm 90 today. Uh, you should have verses and outlines. This is a psalm that is known as a communal lament. Now, the word lament in Hebrew I thought was very interesting. We translate it into English as uh, lament, but the Hebrew word, the real meaning of that word, I looked up and it says to howl, H-O-W-L. I don't know about you, but God has heard me howl sometimes before him rather than even shout out. I thought that was interesting. A lament or a howl out to God are generally considered to be prayers or shout outs, if you would, about the pain and suffering and sorrow that's in our life. And they're also, as part of a lament, generally will have a cry out to God for deliverance. Now, laments are actually, this is interesting, the largest group of um, psalms in the Psalter. They're, of course, psalms of thanksgiving and psalms of praise, but the largest group are laments. And there are personal laments. We're going to have a great example of that in a couple of weeks when we look at Psalm 22, which is David's personal lament. And then the rest of them are communal, are community laments. Now, a communal lament is one that would be voiced um, by the whole community at a community gathering, such as in the temple or at a funeral service, a, a prayer that would be at a funeral service. Um, and it, it's a time when the whole community would express its pain and sorrow and suffering to God. And as a community, they would call out to God for deliverance. When I was thinking about what uh, Psalm 90 was when I first started working on it, and 
I realized at some point in that time I was going to be up here with this communal lament on the set of The Music Man. And I thought, now that's going to be a little interesting here as I thought about it. I thought, now is that going to be kind of awkward? We're going to be talking about uh, crying out to God and our pain and sorrow and suffering on the set of The Music Man. And I realized, oh my gosh, The Music Man, if you know anything about it, it's the story of this con man, Professor Harold Hill. It starts out with a great number called We've Got Trouble, and which is a communal lament. So if you're coming to the Music Man tonight, you're going to see a communal lament as Professor Hill goes around and tries to convince everybody in the town that they should be wringing their hands over the suffering that a pool table is in their midst is going to present. It's this, um, I, I kind of wanted Jennifer to sing it this morning for us at our uh, praise time, but it's We've Got uh, Trouble right here in River City with a capital T, and that rhymes with P, and that stands for pool. And it was their community. If you come and see it, you can see them. By the end of the number, everybody in the town is stirred up and anxious and crying out about their suffering over this pool table. We're going to look at another community lamenting today. It's the community of Israel. The nation of Israel is going to be lamenting. <clears throat> and their struggle is not quite as simple as the one that River City faced. Their lament, written here by Moses, is about the frailty of human life. And Moses, as I said, wrote Psalm 90, and he was the leader of the nation of Israel. Now, Psalm 90 is actually the only recorded psalm in the entire book of Psalms that was written by Moses. As far as they know, there are some psalms they don't know who wrote them, but this is the only one that is attributed to Moses. So you can store that up someday and throw that out there when you're talking that there's only one psalm that we know of written by Moses and it's Psalm 90. Now most of the psalms, I think Deb talked about this the first week when we were talking about psalms, most of the psalms are written during the time period of 1,000 years before Christ up until about 450 years uh, before Christ. But because Psalm 90 was written by Moses, it had to have been written much earlier than that. It was probably written around 1400 years before Christ. So Psalm 90 is not only distinctive because it's a communal lament, it's also distinctive because it's the only psalm written by Moses, but it's probably, there's a little bit of debate about this, but most commentators felt like that it probably was the very first of the recorded psalms to be written. This is probably the first one that was written. Now maybe there were people out there that, whose psalms are not included in our book of psalms that were written before this, but of the recorded psalms, Psalm 90 is probably the oldest and the first one that was written. Now, a lot of you were here with us last spring when we studied Deuteronomy. So you know a lot about Moses and about his life. And if you looked in your homework questions and looked under where it says Psalm 90 in your Bible, the little superscript, it, told, it told you that he was not a man of God, but the man of God. He was the man called by God to deliver the nation of Israel from 400 years of captivity and slavery and some really difficult times under the hand of Pharaoh in Egypt. And it was Moses who had endured the wilderness travels with the nation of Israel for 40 years as their leader. Watching them during that time, 
do some pretty incredible things. Not only watching God do some incredible things, but watching the nation of Israel rebel over and over again. And really have a lot of uh, instances of idol worship and frank disobedience to God that lengthened their journey that Moses could have taken with them for two weeks from Egypt to the promised land. They lengthened it into an endurance and a test of faith that actually lasted 40 years. Now there's no record of exactly when Moses um, wrote this psalm as a prayer and as a communal lament. But if you take the content of Psalm 90, what it talks about in its tone in the description of the uh, suffering and pain that Moses writes about, and you lay it over a timeline of Moses' life, you come to the conclusion that he probably wrote it during the wilderness journey more than likely towards the end, after he had had the chance to observe all that had gone on during this time of testing and endurance. And when we read Psalm 90 today and in the future, read it from that perspective, that this is Moses writing after a wilderness experience with the people. So let's start out. Let's read verses 1 and 2. Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the earth and the world. From everlasting to everlasting, you are God. I love those verses. And when Moses begins Psalm 90 by talking about who God is, we can have confidence that Moses is not talking about something he doesn't know anything about. But he's talking out of his personal experience with God. He's talking out of his knowledge of God. He was definitely always God's man, as we already looked at. He was noted at the beginning of this psalm as the man of God. He was chosen by God from the time he was an infant. He was inspired of God. He was honored by God. It was God himself that showed up to defend him when his brother and sister Aaron and Miriam attack him. And he was experienced many, many years of being close with God. So if there's a subject that we should listen to anyone on, we should listen to Moses when he talks about God. You know, a couple of years ago, I had the... um, opportunity with the mom's ministry to read a lot of parenting books trying to update our list of uh, parenting books for our mom's ministry leaders. There was a book that I read. It was a how-to book, How to Raise Godly Children to Adulthood. And it was written by a Christian couple that I um, knew of their name and, and history with the Christian community. They were, you know, of a solid faith and they'd been in, involved in um, a pretty solid parachurch ministry. And as I read through the book, um, I thought, you know what, their scriptural principles are right on track here, but something bothers me about this book. When they're talking about parenting, there's something about it that just doesn't ring true with me. And I couldn't figure out what it was. And I was, I remember sitting at my desk and I turned this book over to the back. And on the back cover was a beautiful picture of their family. And it was um, the husband and the wife and their three babies. And when um, I saw that picture, I thought, okay, I get it now. My children are grown. Now I realize why some of this doesn't quite ring true. They had um, a great understanding of scriptural principles. They were totally untried in the field of parenting. I want to um, I want to go back to them in about 15 years and say, okay, now tell me what you think now about this principle number two. Um, 
we like to take um, advice uh, from people who have had experience. And um, definitely Moses is not untried in the truths of God. He's talked with God face to face and he's God's trusted friend. In the opening two verses of Psalm 90, he, t- he shares with us a couple of valuable truths that we should definitely hang on to. And the first one is that God's people throughout all generations, no matter what their circumstances, have a place to call home. And that place is God himself. God stands in place of brick and mortar and stone as a shelter throughout all generations for the storms of life. And God not only shelters us, he comforts us, he protects us, he provides for us, and he preserves us when we seek God as our dwelling place. If you think of Psalm 90 as having been written sometimes towards the end of Moses having been in the wilderness for decades, um, you can see why Moses starts out his psalm with that truth. After 40 years of putting up the tents and taking down the tents and putting up the tents and taking down the tents and moving here and moving there and never knowing where they might be next week, he had lived the reality that home is where the heart is. And he knew where his heart was. His heart was fully and completely with God Almighty. As believers today, this truth is one that should stand as a reality in all of our lives. Our earthly homes can give us only a measure of shelter and an even smaller measure usually of comfort, of protection, and of provision. After being in the wilderness for decades, Moses understood the difference between dwelling and earthly shelters. And we all love our homes and we all feel protected for um, a certain extent in our homes. Um, But Moses understood the difference between our earthly shelters and dwelling in the perfect refuge that is our God. Another psalmist says this about God as our dwelling place in Psalm 91.1 on your verse sheet. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord... He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. The second important truth that Moses professes for us in these opening verses of his lament is that God is eternal. He is from everlasting to everlasting. According to Moses, the mountains and even the whole earth were born just the other day. They were newborns compared to to the God who was when nothing else was. Moses is pointing out one of God's great attributes here. I have a bookmark that I saw just a minute ago when I turned to Psalm 90, and it's the attributes of God listed on the bookmark. And under the ease is that great attribute, eternal, his eternality. It means that God has no beginning and God has no end. He was before the foundation of the world, and he will be when the world passes away. Unlike all the other things in our life, if we listed on a bookmark all the things in our life that we're running after and longing after and wanting and filling our lives with, only God, only our God lasts forever. And being eternal means that he is the Lord of time and the Lord of history. Um, sometimes, particularly if you turn on the news today and listen very often, we feel like that uh, time in history is kind of run amuck here. 
um, but God is Lord over time in history. And the other thing that having an eternal God means is that because God is eternal, everything about God is everlasting, including his love. Psalm 103, 17 on your verse sheet. But from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him. His kindness is everlasting. Isaiah 54, 8. But with everlasting kindness, I will have compassion on you, says the Lord, your Redeemer. His righteousness is everlasting. Psalm 119, 142. Your righteousness is everlasting and your law, your law is true. And his purposes are everlasting and eternal. Ephesians three ten and 11. His intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and the authorities and the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. When I first read this psalm, uh, it struck me that Moses points out the attribute of God's eternity along with the truth that God should be our um, refuge and our dwelling place for a great reason. Because in order to embrace God as our eternal refuge and our dwelling place, our comfort, our shelter, our protection, it's going to be important that we understand that God is not going anywhere. When we um, see God as our refuge and our dwelling place, it's going to be important that we don't feel like one day we're going to pull up in that driveway and there's going to be a moving band there. An eternal God who is our dwelling place will never leave us or forsake us or decide to kick us out of the house. Because God is eternal from everlasting to everlasting, his people can dwell with him in confidence. Okay, so let's read verses 3 through 6. You turn men back to dust, saying, Return to dust, O sons of men. For a thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by, or like a watch in the night. You sweep men away in the sleep of death. They are like the new grass of the morning, though in the morning it springs up new. By the evening it is dry and withered. You know, Moses has begun by pointing out God's uh, eternality, and here he makes a contrast for us. God is eternal, but the life of a man is brief. Without a doubt, God outlasts man. Moses uh, has no doubt about that. And not only does God outlast man, God has control of a man's life. Man does not even return to dust of his own accord. Moses says here in verse 3, not only is it God that we know that formed man from the dust of the ground, it is God that returns man to dust. I read a great quote on this verse from um, the great preacher Charles uh, Haddon Spurgeon. When writing on this verse, Spurgeon said, God resolves and man dissolves. I thought, isn't that great? God resolves and man dissolves. God's very word created man from the dust of the earth and that same word that God speaks, uh, according to Moses, reverses the process. Moses also puts the frailty of our lives here on earth in the context of time.
time. Uh, From God's eternal perspective, a thousand years are simply a day. He sees it as no different. Now, that doesn't mean that God is outside of time, that we're over here in some kind of time warp and God really has nothing to do with that. What it means is that God simply does not bind or uh, is not bound or limited by time the way our lives are sequential in our number of days. It reminds me of um, when I was in college, I had a roommate that arranged her entire class schedule around the old soap opera days of our lives. I don't, I don't even know if it's still on, but it was on 30 years ago. And I can still remember coming into our dorm room and hearing that like sands through the hourglass. So are the days of our lives. Well, guess what? God's hourglass is different from ours. He has an infinite amount of sand in his hourglass, and it is never going to run out. And because of that, he has a different perspective. Um, do you remember when you were a child and it seemed like Christmas would never come? I mean, I completely remember from Thanksgiving just counting the days until school would be out and it would just seem like it went on and on and the days got longer instead of shorter. And then it would seem like, okay, we're out of school and it's forever until Christmas Eve. And then you just, I could totally remember that feeling that December until December 25th would never end. Well, from the perspective of an adult, um, I feel like I just took the Christmas tree down last night. (laughs) I mean, literally, I just put those boxes up, and then if I think about it too hard, I think, I'm going to have to put that sucker up in a day or two. I mean, it's just (laughs) to drag all of that stuff back out again. In light of eternity, which is God's time span, a thousand years is truly like a day, and a day is like a thousand years. Now, when I read verses um, 5 and 6 here, I was reminded, if you were here last week, of Lynn's story about Tyler and his friend going out uh, behind their house into the flash flood and her running out there in fear that um, because she knew the power of a flash flood and that these big boys that thought they were so strong could be completely washed away in this flood without being able to stop themselves. Moses' metaphor here in verse 5 where he says, you sweep men away in the sleep of death is referencing a flood like the one Lynn was talking about, powerful and uncontrollable, unstoppable. Uh, It means that the years of our lives are swept away like a flood might carry something off and we're unable to stop it. Um, In other words, the years of our lives are swept away before we can even retrieve them. So what's Moses' point here? In contrast to our eternal God, our lives are not only frail, but brief, very brief in contrast to an eternal God. According to human to Moses, as humans, in light of an eternal God, we definitely have trouble with a capital T. Okay, so let's read on with Moses' lament here in verses 7 through 10 as he points out more trouble when God examines our lives. We are consumed by your anger and terrified by your indignation. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins, and the light of your presence. All our days pass away under your wrath. We finish our years with a moan. 
The length of our days is 70 years, or 80 if you have strength. Yet their span is but trouble and sorrow, for they quickly pass and we fly away. Most of the Psalms of Lament all have a similar structure to them. In other words, at some point of them, they all start out speaking of God in some terms. And then at some point, they begin to... um, have some verses that include a statement or a cause for whatever's causing their misfortune, what they think is going on, uh, what they're lamenting about. And Moses' psalm of lament here is no exception. In these verses, Moses tells us what the cause of our suffering is. He shares with us why human lives are not only frail, but definitely brief. According to Moses, when our lives come under the examination of a holy God, He always sees our sin. Since Adam and Eve disobeyed God in the garden, each of us has been born with an inherent sin nature. Each of us are sinners, and each of us will be found out by a holy God. Romans 3.23 confirms that on your verse sheet. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And when it comes to sin, God himself is the judge and the jury, and he mets out the penalty, which for man is physical death. Romans 6.23, the first part of it, we're not going to read the second part because we're going to talk about that later, but the first part of it tells us what the penalty of our sin is. The wages of sin, what we get paid for sin, is death. Sin is the ultimate reason that our bodies, uh, this side of heaven decay and fall apart and marches to the grave. And Moses tells us that there's really no point in trying to hide your sin from God if you're thinking, hey, I'll live a few extra years because I'm never telling God about what's really going on in my life. Those things we think we've kept under the bed or in the closet or away from anyone's eyes will come to light in God's presence. Hebrews 4.13 I think this was on your homework, says, Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to who we must give an account. So Moses openly laments with the whole nation of Israel here in verses 7 through 10 that man lives only a brief time, 70, maybe 80 years. Not because of evolution, because we just haven't quite got our bodies to where we can live forever. And not because of pollution, which I was just reading the article about our plastic water bottles and our water, how we're all going to die because of our plastic water bottles. It's not evolution or pollution that shorten our lives. What it is, is that we are sinners under the judgment of a God who hates sin, whose anger will never tolerate sin. And again, Moses knows exactly what he's talking about here. After decades with the nation of Israel uh, in the wilderness, he's not only witnessed their sin time and time again, their idol worship and their disobedience, but time and time again, Moses has witnessed God's wrath when the Israelites would sin. Psalm 78 gives us a little snapshot of God's anger against Israel. This was something that Moses had experienced and lived through during the wilderness. Psalm 78, verse 31. Um, 
and it says God's anger rose against them, meaning the nation of Israel in the wilderness. He put to death the sturdiest among them, cutting down the young men of Israel. In spite of all this, they kept on sinning. In spite of his wonders, they did not believe. So he ended their days in futility, their years in terror. The psalmist here gives us a great picture of the fact that even though God was in their midst, the nation of Israel... um, would not turn to him completely and fully, but would continue to sin. And Moses um, has firsthand experience that the anger of a holy, eternal God is not something to take lightly. And in the next verse particularly, he speaks about the anger of a holy God. Let's read verses 11 and 12. He knows the power of your anger, for your wrath is as great as the fear that is due you. And in verse 12, he says, teach us to number our days aright that we may gain a heart of wisdom. You know, in all the decades he's been the leader of the nation of Israel, there are no telling how many funerals and graveside services, burials Moses has presided over in the wilderness as a result of God's judgment on the sins of the nation of Israel. But even then, even after witnessing up close and personal God's very wrath, Moses knows that man cannot even really fully understand the extent of God's wrath against sin. How very angry a holy God becomes in the face of sin. What an affront sin is to a perfect God. Charles Spurgeon points, uh, makes this point in his examination of Psalm 90. He says that when the scriptures talk of God's wrath against sin, it never uses hyperbole, which I thought was interesting. And the reason it doesn't is because it would be impossible to exaggerate God's anger when it comes to sin. In our unholiness, there is no way for us to really understand the depth of the anger of the holiest of holies. After lamenting about God's anger in verses 7 through 11, um, Moses pauses right here. He's just told us that there's no way we can even really understand how angry sin makes God. And then he stops in verse 12 after lamenting about this, and he actually calls out to God for some help. He says, Lord, um, your anger is deep, and our days are going to be short. So if that's the case, give us wisdom. Give us wisdom to use the few days that we have on this earth and use them well. Teach us not to ignore them. Teach us not to waste them. Teach us to count them so that we know each one is used wisely. Ted, if you've, um, you may have heard Ted tell this story. I've heard him tell it a couple of times. He tells the story of a man that used to spend every Saturday, he was a ham radio operator, I think, and he would go down to his basement every Saturday and spend all day with his ham radio equipment while his family, of course, was upstairs. And he was consumed by his hobby. And I don't remember exactly what happened, but something happened one day to cause him to stop and think, what am I doing? I'm spending every Saturday with this piece of equipment while my family is somewhere else. So he sat down and he calculated if he were to live a normal lifespan, how many more Saturdays would he have left? And he went out and he bought a jar and a bunch of marbles and he put one marble in that jar for every Saturday that he would have left if he lived a normal life. 
you can imagine how powerful that was as a visual aid as to how well to use your time. And Ted says that from that point on in his life, he stopped going to the basement every Saturday. And he started spending those Saturdays with his family, taking out one marble every Saturday. So he would know how precious few Saturdays he had left with his family. Uh, Moses wants all of Israel and certainly all of us, to learn to be wise, not with just one day in our life. Have you ever thought, man, I did a good job yesterday. He doesn't want us just to be wise with one day in our life or two days in our lives or even um, a week or two in our lives. He wants us to be wise with each and every day. And there's a reason for that. Psalm 139 says this about the days of our lives. Um, All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. You know, the truth is, ladies, we have an expiration date on our forehead. Moses says we live a normal lifespan of 70 to 80 years, but most of us um, don't know whether that's true or not. Um, We all have an expiration date on our foreheads and a finite number of marbles in our jar. Moses wants us to use each one of them as wisely as we possibly can. Let's read verses um, 13 through 15 together. Relent, O Lord, how long will it be? Have compassion on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love, that we may sing for joy and be glad all of our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, for as many years as we have seen trouble. Now, up here on our set of the Music Man, after stirring up the people with the communal lament about a pool table in their midst, Professor Hill actually gives them a solution to their problems. First, he tells them, you people have a problem. And then he said, but I have the solution. You'll just give me money. I will give you uniforms and a boys' band, and that's going to fix all of this. Moses, right here in the middle of his own lament, also knows where the solution to the problem of the brevity and the frailty of human life lies also, and he tells us what it is right here. The solution to that problem doesn't lie with man. It lies with God. And he begins in verse 13 to shout out to God for his compassion. We should remember that Moses, although he's witnessed God's wrath over and over again in the wilderness and his judgment on sin for the last 40 years, even more than that, Moses has witnessed God's compassion and his great love for his people. Moses knows that it was God's compassion and love for the nation of Israel that caused him to lead them out of slavery and out of captivity to start with. He knows that it was God's compassion and his great love for them that has led them and fed them and given them every victory that they needed along the way. In his compassion, God has healed them from their diseases. And in his compassion, he has revealed who he is as the one true God to the nation of Israel. Moses now shouts out to God um, to do what he knows that God does best, and that is to lavish his love on his people so that they could live their lives, even though life is brief 
and frail um, for the nation of Israel here, if they could live their life surrounded by God's love and compassion, um, along with it would come the joy and gladness that the one true God can bring into our lives. Lamentations uh, speaks about the pain of life and God's compassion on your verse sheet, Lamentations 3. I remember my affliction and my wondering, the bitterness and the gall. I will remember them, and my soul is downcast within me. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Moses has not sugarcoated the truth here in Psalm 90 about the frailty of life, about the depth of God's anger against sin, about the short days, um, the short span of our days here. But his final focus is not on our deaths, but our lives and the joy that our lives have when we live it in the knowledge of the living God. Without a doubt, every one of us in this room and every one of the Israelites is going to experience physical death as the overreaching consequence of sin. But God's compassion can fill us with joy and gladness every single morning that we do have until that day comes. I read a quote about these verses that said, the only satisfying food for the Lord's people is the favor of God. And certainly that's Moses' plea before the throne of God. Lord, rain your compassion and lavish your love down on these people. Give them your favor so that they might wake up every morning excited to see you again. One of the reasons I think uh, Moses wanted that joy and gladness for the people uh, of the nation of Israel is as they approached the promised land, Moses knew that because of the sin of the generation of people that had come out of Israel with him, because of that sin, there was a whole generation of people that God had said, you may not enter the promised land. Those people were going to die along with Moses in the wilderness without going into the promised land. And so I think their great leader seeks the blessing of God's compassion on them as a nation to console their hearts and to encourage their days. But this is what I love most when I read this section of Psalm 90. We are the ones who have actually experienced the ultimate answer to Moses' prayer for God to have compassion on his people in spite of their sin. Because God has answered Moses' prayer for compassion in our lives through the atoning sacrifice and saving grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 5, 8, and 9. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified for his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? As believers, we are covered by the blood of Jesus Christ and saved from the wrath of God. We are the ones who have truly received the answer to Moses' prayer for God's compassion. It's real in every one of our lives today. So let's finish up Moses' lament in um, 16 and 17. May your deeds be shown to your servants, your splendor to their children. May the favor of the Lord our God rest upon us. Establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, 
establish the work of our hands. As he finishes his lament, uh, Moses voices a couple of expectations that he knows these things are only going to happen through God himself. As Moses asked God to reveal his great splendor and his powerful deeds to his servants in verse 16, he does it again with the personal knowledge. After decades of seeing God's great deeds and mighty splendor, remember he was the guy that ran up to the Red Sea with two million people and an Egyptian army behind him and thought, what are we going to do now? And then God parted the Red Sea over and over again. He had um, seen God's great deeds and mighty splendor. Because of that, Moses understands in the depth of his heart that no matter what your circumstances are, viewing the power and the majesty and the mercy of God always changes your perspective. It gives you an eternal perspective. Moses isn't simply wanting a fireworks display here to entertain the people. Hey God, come out, let's put on a good show. It'll distract the people from what's really going to happen here. He's wanting the awe of God to lead them away from despondency and into the hope of an eternal perspective. The prophet Habakkuk um, understood the effect, uh, understood the power and the majesty and awe of God could lead you to an eternal perspective. On your verse sheet, Habakkuk 3.2, the prophet says, Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, O Lord. And then the prophet says this a couple of verses later. Though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vine, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no fruit, there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. And that's exactly what Moses wanted for the nation of Israel and for us today. A new perspective, an eternal perspective and a hope that comes not from our circumstances, but from our knowledge of the living God. Moses completes his prayer with um, one final expectation for the Lord's favor in verse 17. And he asks God's favor, not on the workers, not on the people themselves, but on the work of of their hands. You know, Moses was a great man of wisdom and a great man of understanding. And he ends his psalm here by showing us um, that great wisdom and understanding because he understands, he gets it that even though our lives are temporary, they're going to be short and the marbles in our jar are going to be gone before we know it. With God's blessing, our work can remain after we perish. Moses' hope is that with God's blessing and favor, their work, the work of the nation of Israel and our work today will be a legacy for generations to come. Now, it's interesting when I... um, studied Psalm 90. Most of the commentators that wrote about Psalm 90 had some interesting little uh, titles that they would give it. And a lot of them were along the lines of Psalm 90 could have been titled, Life is Hard hard or Short and Then We Die. And that would be the um, title of it. I would rather um, title Psalm 90 because of what it's meant in my life. I would rather, rather, rather title it Learn to be purposeful with every day of your life. Because actually, that's what Psalm 90 is all about. For us, it's a call to be intentional with our lives. 
with every day of our lives, with every moment of our lives, for us to make purposeful kingdom choices, not just purposeful, oh, I'm going to live in this house or I'm going to send my kids to this school, but purposeful kingdom choices that reflect the reality that our days, this side of heaven, truly have a number on them. For us to develop an eternal perspective, um, even though our lives are short. And for us to understand that even though our bodies will perish, it's possible with God's blessing to leave a lasting legacy with the work of our hands for generations to come. Pray with me. Father, we love your word. We love the opportunity to grow wise from your word. And Father, I do pray that every single one of us here today would um, learn to have an eternal perspective, would be purposeful with our lives, would number our days according to how many you have given us, and would uh, not waste even a single one of them. Father, I thank you for um, just the wisdom Uh, that Moses' legacy has left us. He is such an example that the work of his hands has endured and has been a legacy that has honored you. And we pray that for each one of us. Uh, I pray this in the name of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks, ladies.